we were particularly interested in doing this because there are literally no qualifications, not even a single one anywhere in the world that do this at the moment, at undergraduate or postgraduate level. There are lots of places where you can study ecological economics. There are a few places where you can study macroeconomics from an MMT perspective. There are precisely zero places where you can combine the two together. And in our view, 21st century economics is about combining the two together. Welcome to Activist MMT, a podcast about real-world economics, including modern money theory, and how life changes when you discover it. I'm your host, Jeff Epstein. Today's part two of my two-part conversation with Stephen Hale, discussing the new and unprecedented graduate program in economics of sustainability. The program, which starts in September 2022, will be run by Torrens University, is backed by Modern Money Lab, and primarily developed by Stephen and Australia's leading ecological economist, Phil Lawn. Last week in part one, Stephen talked about how the program came to be, the resistance to be expected from neoclassical economics departments, and the basics of ecological economics. Today, he gives an overview of the program's curriculum and the various degrees a student can pursue. I'm determined to earn a master's degree. After that, then we'll see. Before we begin, a minor clarification. Near the end, I say, my studies with Assad Zaman might be worthy of an elective. Although integrating a course into the curriculum, I think would be great, and I believe to actually be much more unique than is currently available. I only mean getting a potential credit for myself for independent study. If you like what you hear, then I hope you might consider becoming a monthly patron of Activist MMT. Patrons have exclusive access to several full-length episodes right now. Patrons also get the opportunity to ask my academic guests questions, such as my recent episode with Warren Mosler. They also support the development of my large and growing collection of Learn MMT resources. To become a patron, you can start by going to patreon.com slash activist MMT. Every little bit helps a little bit and it all adds up to a lot. Thanks. And now, let's get right back to my conversation with Stephen Hale. Enjoy. Countries face real constraints, 
a limited amount of productive capacity. But the ultimate real constraint is that we live on a finite planet. Okay, uh, uh, I'm actually growing more fascinated by the day with ecological economics, especially with your your recent MMD um, Modern Money Donuts interview with Phil. So I'm actually looking forward to hopefully talking with him about that more. Um, I would like to switch back to Torrens University and the curriculum, yeah. and I'd like to do that with this question, and that is, you know, as someone myself who I've studied MMT for four years now, I. I found it. I discovered it in, in in February of 2018. So I know a decent amount of, I think you know, basic MMT. I I I and I know that there's a good amount of people like me out there who know yeah. roughly, you know, kind of what I do, whether exactly the same stuff or, but you know, kind of roughly the same kind of competency that I do. And first of all, I am extremely excited about doing this program, and I have a feeling that. There's a lot of people like me out there. Like, it's kind of an urgency for me, and I don't just mean save the planet kind of urgency. I just mean, like, being able to to start over again is is very exciting for me. So, but my question my question for you is this: as someone who you you have a rough idea of my understanding of people like me of kind of what we understand, I would like to know the curriculum of Torrens. What what are the things that I understand that I will already know? And what are the major gaps that I can expect that I'm missing that I would, that will be filled in by this, by this uh, curriculum. And, and I mean that on a, on not just like, obviously there's some courses that I'm just simply not going to be familiar with, but even within the courses that that on the surface would sound familiar, I'm sure that there's major gaps even in there that I'm missing. So, can you can you address that kind of the overlap of people like me with the um, with the curriculum that you're setting up? Well, the great thing is actually you're going to learn not just from uh, Phil and myself and Dirk and Sonada, who's going to be helping us and and uh, maybe others as well, but mainly it'll be Phil and me. Uh, initially, but you're going to learn from other participants on the course because I sometimes speak to people who are, uh, I have for a couple of weeks ago, speaking to someone who might be the Jeff Epstein of ecological economics, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so uh, so there are people who who will be students on this program who know quite a lot about other elements of it that you don't know about, but who don't know the bits that you do, which is going to be great. So we're going to be facilitating a lot of interaction between people on the courses. Uh, in terms of what you're going to learn, the the course that you'll know best, or the subject, we're supposed to call them subjects, individual subjects, that you'll be familiar with best of all, will be the Fundamentals of Modern Money subject, where a lot of that for you will be just old hat really um i'll be explaining mmt yes but also talking about monetary systems and financial markets and institutions in that introductory subject um not specifically from a u.s perspective or an australian perspective because this is a global program but in other respects there'll be quite a lot which is in common with eric timoyne's book that you might be familiar with already with uh, jeff or the first year undergraduate 
subject that I used to teach at the University of Adelaide. All the videos for which are freely available at the top of my Twitter page if anybody wanted to check them out now. So that that will be one of the foundation subjects. The other foundation subject Philip is going to teach, uh, it's going to be the foundations of 21st century economics. And he's going to start at the beginning where all Econ 101 subjects should start, and none of them do, which is to locate the economy as a subset of our society, which is a subset of our planet. And our planet for most purposes, is a closed system. Uh, We take in energy, of course, mainly from the sun. We also emit waste energy into our environment, largely speaking, with some trivial exceptions. Otherwise, the earth is a closed system. What is here is here. And he's going to be explaining how a linear approach to economic activity involves taking materials from that closed system and taking energy from that system, but ultimately from the sun and using it to produce things which we then use and over time consume and that that generates waste and waste energy too. And he's going to be explaining that in the context of uh, some basic physics as well. Thermodynamics comes into ecological economics. He'll also in that foundation subject be briefly talking about people as they are rather than how they are pretended to be in neoclassical microeconomics, which will involve um, some psychology, some behavioral economics. And he'll be talking about businesses as they are, as they how they price goods, uh, issues like monopoly power, which tend to be, if not neglected, at least not addressed in a realistic way in uh, an introductory microeconomics course. So that'll be, those are the two introductory uh, subjects. But later on, if somebody does the master's degree anyway, they'll be doing a more advanced macroeconomics subject. Uh, If I was to say what's it similar to, in some respects, it would be similar to the Mitchell Ray and Watts textbook that MNT people might be familiar with, but only in some respects, because that textbook is very narrowly MNT. And although it mentions ecological economics and actually mentions Phil's work in uh, a chapter towards the end of the book, the ecological economics is not um, integrated into that book. Much of the time, the objective of macroeconomics is, is or one of the main objectives of macroeconomics in that book, as in almost all macro books, is is economic growth. We're going to be doing things a little bit differently. Um, so we are at all stages going to be thinking about ecological limits when we look at uh, macroeconomics. Another subject later on, I'll be doing um, one of mine will be international finance and MMT. And amongst other things in there, we'll be if you like, applying Hyman Minsky at a global level, but we'd be talking about various uh, different forms of financial crises. And I we'll presume be, John Harvey's book will come into play with that course? Uh, it will come into play with that course and indeed a modified version of his model hmm. in that international finance book we'll be uh, looking at. But we'll also we'll be drawing on other things too. So of course, the Eurozone crisis, and I'll be relating that back to 
stock flow consistent macroeconomics and the models of Wynne Godley and Mark Lavoie, and particularly a model of the Eurozone, which they constructed with correct accounting. And basically, although Mark Lavoie doesn't call himself an MMT economist uh, in the MMT tradition, you might say they had a model of three countries and two currencies, a simplified model of the euro in that there were only two countries in their model of the euro, one they called Germany, one they called Italy, and the other one they called the USA. And then they showed how an adverse event could uh, destabilize the euro, um, Italy standing in for the European South in their model, following a negative economic shock, like a global financial crisis, would either be driven into a, because it wasn't a mon- it's not a monetary sovereign, either be driven into a self-fulfilling prophecy as far as uh, investors were concerned of uh, default after uh, rapidly rising interest rates on Italian government debt or would have to be supported by the European Central Bank or would have to have its government pursue very severe austerity with Uh, terrible consequences as far as the domestic population is concerned. To an extent, this describes Italy in the real world. It's a much better description of Greece in the real world. But this model, uh, this uh, getting the accounting right, stock flow consistent, monetary, mathematical model of the economy, the appropriate use of mathematical modelling, basically predicted not only the Eurozone crisis, but also what would happen after the Eurozone crisis, before the Eurozone crisis uh, ever happened. So uh, there are a variety of other things we're going to cover in that subject. I'll be teaching in that subject, for example, a little bit of complexity theory, explaining how uh, exchange rates can be very difficult, if not impossible, to forecast when you have got a foreign exchange market which is characterised by traders who are pursuing more than one uh, strategy and who can switch from strategy to strategy over time, depending on what's recently been apparently the most profitable way to decide to buy and sell currencies. Now, all that stuff doesn't sound as though it's got anything to do with ecological economics, but it's got a lot to do with understanding the global monetary system and there'll be some ecological stuff thrown in there as well but on top of that phil is going to be doing an ecological economics subject which he could describe uh, better than me but really it involves going into what i was talking about a few minutes ago in an immense amount of additional depth and he has a separate subject uh, to uh, examine all the available indicators of sustainable development that people have suggested around the world, including the one he's closely associated with, which is the genuine progress indicator, uh, comparing them to each other and comparing them to real GDP. Um, I am going to, we talked about John Harvey. I've got another subject, which is actually much more closely based Sure. On a John Harvey book, I'm going sure. to be teaching a contended, contended perspectives mm-hmm. subject, and that's where we're going to do a little bit of the history of economic thought. Oh, uh, okay. It's also where question. we're going to talk about neoclassical 
economics. It's only going to come into that subject, not otherwise, mm. really, most of the most of the time. I'll talk about Austrian school economics. We'll do talk a little bit about Marxist political economy, post-Keynesian economics, mm. MMT, behavioral economics will come in there. And <laughs> I, I will take a global event. Um might even be the pandemic and the consequences, but uh, the initial idea was the global financial crisis. And I'll have a look at what all these different groups, and uh, not just the ones I've listed, feminist economics, that's another school of thought we'll think about briefly, Mm -hmm. um, have to say about it and discuss briefly at least one leading or very famous uh, book or other piece of work coming from a particular tradition mm-hmm. that's another subject we'll study philip is going to be doing a uh, what will be largely a post-keynesian microeconomics subject which is a much more realistic way of looking in, in a great deal more detail at how markets work and about firms and pricing power and about how people make decisions and what contributes towards towards our well-being and also about the various ways in which uh, governments imp- can influence the allocation of resources at the microeconomic level. Um, we'll have an a introductory data analyst subject, which uh, a colleague of ours called Sonata will teach, and towards the end of the master's degree, we will have an appropriately more advanced but very practically oriented econometrics subject called Methods of Empirical Investigation. The Mm. main way in which that will differ from what you might normally do at university is uh, is that the analysis will be based on data sets which will be uh, largely ecological or environmental ones. Um, There'll be a subject which is now going to be called professional economic writing, which I will largely deal with, which will include looking at how to do economics journalism. And it will also include looking at some seminal papers in both modern monetary theory and ecological economics and getting students to discuss them and the final third of that subject will give people a choice between doing a directed literature survey on a modern monetary theory issue or an ecological economics issue. People Mm. will get the choice. And I'm trying to think what I've left out, but I think that's most of the subjects. There are, at the moment, 12 subjects Mm-hmm. Three of them. Oh, I'll tell you, I have missed one out. I've missed the one out that Dirk's going to write for us. There's a subject called inequality, equity and employment. Mm. And uh, amongst many other things which will be looked at in depth in that subject is the is the role that a federal job guarantee can mm. play in an economy. Although, of course, we'll talk about that in other subjects mm-hmm. as as well. Of those 12 subjects, and you have to pass 12 if you want a master's degree, technically three of them are electives, and that's because if somebody wanted to go on and do a doctorate at Torrens later on, 
they would have to have completed some uh, research methods subjects that the university offers, which are outside of our degree, which we haven't described, but we would allow them to do those three subjects instead of three of ours, uh, just in order to save them time and money if they were absolutely sure that they wanted to go on and do uh, a doctorate. If you do four subjects, uh, the two fundamentals, and then you get some choices, you can get a graduate certificate in the economics of sustainability. If you do eight subjects, you can get a graduate diploma. If you want to get the master's degree, you have to do the 12 subjects. And it's called the economics of sustainability because in that we are including not only environmental sustainability, but social and financial sustainability as well, which is where modern monetary theory comes in. What is the PhD as not necessarily the specific requirements, but but how much more time or courses or whatever is a PhD required above and beyond these 12, which would be a master's? If you complete the master's and you do the three PhD subjects, which uh, um, are coming from the rest of the university, instead of three of our subjects, it would mean not taking the international finance subject, not if you wanted to do that, and not taking Dirk subject and not doing the sustainable development indicators subject, uh, then you would still have to take, I think, one subject in terms of thesis writing from, uh, from outside the university. Other than that, you would have done the prerequisites to be a doctoral student at the university. However, you would have had to get uh, credit or above marks. In other words, you'd have to get higher than average marks across the master's degree in order to be accepted onto the doctoral program. Once you're on the doctoral program, uh, well, it would normally take you in terms of going through the stages of uh, um, having your proposal accepted and then ending up writing and uh, defending a thesis. It would normally take, if you were a full-time student, three years. It takes longer than that if you're if you're part-time, but I mean, that's just the way it is as far as a doctorate is concerned. It's a very big commitment of time. You're, you don't mean and, three years above and beyond. You mean three years total if you were full-time from the beginning. Is that right? Uh, no, no. If, you, if you're doing a PhD, a PhD will take you three years. So if you were a full-time student, you could do the master's degree in a year. Mm. Uh, it, it's very full-time. In that case, because I normally would recommend for a full time student only doing three subjects a trimester, and that would mean doing four and overloading. <laughs> um, but then beyond that, it will take another three years in order to get a doctorate. It's not yeah. something which I expect that many people to do, but it is it is a huge commitment of time. Some people take eight or ten years doing doctorates. I but I, I, it took me three years, and I was. Um, I was already a professional economist uh, by then. Three years is the minimum amount of time under the regulations. Okay, so if you if if for uh, from from my example, I'm going to be taking my plan is gonna, I'm going to be taking four courses a year: one during the school year, one uh, two during the school year, one at a time, 
and then two during the summer, so four a year. So roughly at that pace, we're talking, if, if I were to do a PhD, someone like me, that would be, we're talking at least six years. Yeah, realistically, well, in your case, you probably could do it in six years because you're not, you, you're not starting absolutely from, from scratch. But it is, that's, that's not, beat about the bush as far as this is concerned. A, a PhD is a massive commitment. And it's very, very hard to do as a mature student with a job. And I speak as someone who did one as a mature student with a job. But my job was as an economics lecturer. So uh, it was easier for me than it would be for somebody else. So it is something to aspire to. It's something you're certainly capable of. But uh, if you want a proper uh, PhD and, and to have produced an excellent thesis as part of that PhD and at the moment you don't have a graduate qualification in economics, it takes a long time. Okay, so it's, at least six years at the, at the minimum it, for someone for someone like myself, just, just to give yeah, it a very broad idea. Yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't want to – not only would I not want to uh, mislead someone there, but uh, actually we don't want too many PhD students because supervising a PhD student properly is something which is very time-consuming. So we certainly want and we, we look forward to excellent uh, students such as yourself, perhaps at some point going on to the, the doctoral program. But it's not, even though we are working with a private university, we're not trying to market the doctoral um, program it's just something that's there it's not something where we're looking to uh, maximize the number of people going through it indeed uh, even if we have people like Dirk working with us there's a limit to the number of people it's going to be possible for us to look after and everybody that starts the doctorate after they've done the master's degree um, or if they may be coming from elsewhere and have something uh, equivalent and go on to the doctorate we will be almost trying to dissuade before they start it because we know how difficult it is and how uh, much commitment of time and energy it involves doing it, it's certainly not i mean this is true of the whole course really uh from phil and my point of view we are not doing this to try and maximise the profitability of the university. We have told the university you will end up making a profit from this and that's why we've asked them to give us a part of that back so that we can use it for future, through our charity, for future uh, scholarships for people. But we said uh, it'll be a sustainable profit. It's, we're certainly not trying to maximise the profit. I mean, we don't want anybody doing this is that it's not the right thing uh, for this you. is this is obviously i mean this is for saving the world i mean let's absolutely this is for saving That's the world I mean, obviously it. yeah i mean of course but and that, okay and it's, some... it's our one it's our from phil and my point of view we're both getting towards 60 and this is about a legacy sure of course i mean of course yeah. okay so so all right a couple more questions number one i don't you know someone like me i mean yeah i, I really i mean 
I am very interested in 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 a PhD program. I obviously understand that I'm very far off from that. But you could definitely is, do it. You could definitely that is a do dr- it. That's, Jeff, that's but, a dream. But, that's that's yeah. a dream. But my question is, my question is the following: At what point is that decision made? I presume that that's after I'm done the masters, or at least approaching done the masters. And at that point, then it will be decided whether or not the PhD makes sense. That seems to be right. Like I wouldn't be deciding that to begin with. I would be deciding Absolutely. that significantly down the road at the end of 12 courses or whatever. I presume that you that's the time. Even, it's not even possible to decide that to begin with because, uh, I mean, it becomes obvi- obvious over time whether somebody's got the grades which would even qualify to do that. If somebody okay. had the grades and then decided to apply it would go through the appropriate department of the university. And then if the university accepted the application, which they would do if they'd completed the master's degree and got high grades, even then it comes back to, well, it would come back, assuming he was still in the role, to uh, to fill. And then it's a matter of whether any of the academic staff feel themselves able to supervise uh, okay. effectively somebody doing that particular topic. But, of course, you know, you could do this master's degree and you could apply to do a doctorate at Bard College or UMKC or somewhere in the States if you were sure. a, a, an American student. You're not obliged. And, indeed, very often people do choose different institutions. Our particular strength is going to be simply because it's pretty much his thing is going to be in genuine progress indicator studies. Sure. Yeah, I heard I heard him say that on, on yeah. Modern Money Donuts, and and that that's obviously very important. Okay. All right. So so you know, I mean, obviously, this is partially about me, and I'm hoping that there are people out there like me in different versions that are very excited about this. And there, so there, okay, there definitely so there are people that are excited about it. Absolutely. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. I I'm I'm crazily excited about this, to be honest, mm-hmm. and and. I'm not going to be choosing to go to UMKC. I'm not going to be choosing to go to Bard simply because I can't work. I can't. My wife has a union job. I can't uproot my family. So Absolutely. thinking of this in the long term. With PhDs, with- they don't always necessarily have to be on. I, I don't know about different programs, but yeah, this particular one is a distance learning one. Right. And right. when we've got uh, Phil with uh, IT people behind him, so we <laughs> <laughs> You'll be yeah. looking at him over the net. You won't be Sure, here. of course. Yeah. Okay. All right. So good. So that, that's enough about that. So so I'll ask a final question, and that is, all right, so you kind of addressed the history of economic thought and uh, that neoclassical economics will be addressed in contending perspectives. And I, I think that you said that his, the history of economic thoughts will also be in contending perspectives. I think that's right. Well, to an extent, yeah. I mean, that won't be uh, – Oh, you you gather that for yourself. If you have seen, you know, I'm, we're not going to just take John's book and and use it, but it, it gives you an idea. If you've if you've seen John Harvey's Contending Perspectives and Economic Thought book, then when he talks about Austrian school economics or Marx's political economy, while explaining what um, uh, uh, what the constituent parts are these different schools of thought he explains a little bit about the circumstances under which they came together sure okay so that makes sense so so we'll do it that way yeah but not specifically history 
Okay. All right. That's that's fine. Uh, and the other two things, the the topics, and I presume I was going to ask where does the good and bad of maths and models come in, and I would presume that that's just part of the you know neoclassical within the contending perspectives. I think that 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 makes sense. We'll we'll do the good. Um, I don't really want to spend any time dismissing neoclassical economics. We're more, we're more or less going to ignore it, except okay. for when we're doing contending perspectives. So, so you know, Phil is going to teach economics the way he sees economics, and so am I, and we overlap a lot. Um, but I'm not going to be spending... I'm not going to be doing chapter two of my book. I'm not going to be spending... <laughs> Yeah. Where right. did it all come from? Let's take it to pieces because there are lots and lots and lots of places that you can adopt the negative approach and demolish neoclassical economics. Right. And it's We're all fantasy spend... world. It's all fantasy world. So you could spend the rest of your life on it just on that. Yeah. So we'll spend okay. two weeks on neoclassical economics in okay. the contending perspectives course. But for at least one of those two weeks, I'll be trying to be very positive <laughs> and I'll be trying to be the pre the year 2000 Stephen Hale neoclassical <laughs> economist and trying and every, to explain. And all your students will be rolling their eyes politely. <laughs> well, I'll, but that's the idea. And, and that I'm going to borrow from John Harvey. <laughs> In his book, what he tries to do is to represent each school of thought as an adherent of that school of thought would want sure. to represent it. Sure, of course, and then, of course. And that's the best way of doing it. And then mm -hmm. after that, yes, you talk about criticisms of that school of thought from elsewhere, but you know, all right, we'll do that for a week in one subject. That's enough. Sure, sure. That makes sense. And the good math will make it obvious that when you don't see good math, that it will it will just be like what what is this this is not good math yeah that, that's we'll have a bit of Steve I'll bring a bit of Steve Keen in somewhere along the lines which is uh, Win Godley and Mark Lavoie um, do uh, correct macroeconomics using uh, discrete maths uh, Steve Keen does it using continuous maths which means there's a, a little bit of I'll have to teach a little bit of that but only a, only a little bit really. Because okay. I don't think it's of I don't I don't think it's quite as important as Steve does, even though I'm a great fan of Steve. Okay, all right. So my my final question, and then I just want to say a, a point um, is, I well, okay. I've been studying with uh, Assad Zaman. He is a, a PhD economist based in Pakistan, and I have been drinking from a fire hose from like a year for like a year now on, on realistic history. So. Yeah. He discovered MMT in like 2016. He knew that something was very seriously wrong in around 2006. And then he discovered MMT in 2000, I think around 16, with the actually with the draft version of the textbook. And, you know, he's, uh, you know, almost entirely on board. I think it's, I don't know if he would call himself an mmt -er, but he's certainly almost entirely on board. And so the, what he's really taught me is the realistic history of the Great Depression, of the OPEC oil crisis, of the Great Financial Crash, the monetarist counter coup surrounding or, you know, kind of using the OPEC uh, as a tool to, to, to the counter coup and Polanyi's Great Transformation. So those are the big examples of like kind of histor historical stuff that has really opened my eyes and made MMT even, you know, reinforced MMT for me because you know, it's supported by that history. And so I'm wondering, 
is there something in your curriculum that covers those kinds of historical events? Um, yeah, so that's that's the question. Um, yeah, in part. I mean, I'm not going to um, – not in the same way, but um, different historical events we've come across. And uh, uh, there's not going to be a huge focus on the Great Depression, not on its own. Or I, I, I might do um, in the contending perspective subject sometimes because we'll change the, the topic we focus on each trimester when we run it. So sometimes, but uh, not uh, specifically, um, the global financial crisis, we're bound to uh, to tackle in depth more than once, including in the international finance subject. If we were talking about Polanyi and the Great Transformation, not so much through Polanyi, but again, in contending perspectives, we'll, we'll focus on uh, the original institutional economists and Veblen and there's a mm. bit of an overlap sure. there but that's not the main thing you know there's hundreds of places you can learn that so it's not our main point hmm. it's something okay. that we are going to be looking at but we are very much rooted in the 21st century okay so right. it's, it's not the main focus of what we're of what we're doing it will come up uh, in bits and bits and pieces all over the place, particularly, again, in the contending perspective subject. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. Okay, great. Uh, and actually, you know, I, I would, I think he would be, I don't know if you know him or not, but I think he would be I know a very, him. Yeah. Oh, he's, I, I speak, I think very highly of him. I've learned a lot mm. from him. And I think the historical aspects is something that is really a strength of his. And especially if it's not in your curriculum, then perhaps that there's actually, I, I'm hoping, I'm actually hoping that my studying history with him might be some, there might be some way to make that into a course within this curriculum somehow as an elective well, or something like that. The one thing I would say is that the one thing both of us are clear on is that anybody who ever teaches on these qualifications will have a background in both modern monetary theory and ecological economics. And that's why we've been talking to Dirk, because he does. Hmm. Okay. Because um, they're, both, oh, they're, they're not separate, they're integrated. Understood. Okay. Uh, all right, this has been great. This has been really interesting. I, I, is there anything before we get off that, that about this program, uh, you know, especially coming kind of from the perspective of people like me, is there anything that you feel needs to be said, especially as it's coming up, you know, applications are going to be coming up. And so is there anything you feel that needs to be said before we get off about this program? Uh, not, not really. Um, we've got a brief description of it, which is on the Modern Money Lab site, I, uh, uh, modernmoneylab.org.au, if people want to take a look at it. Uh, I just say we're going to try and timetable things so that wherever you are in the world, whatever time zone, you at least, in in theory, have the option to uh, attend uh, seminars live. Often people won't be able to do that because of work commitments, so they can do it asynchronously as well. But it's nice if people can uh, get to at least one or two live seminars and maybe meet other students on the courses uh, too. Um, we are both, Phil and I are both in a position where we're at an age now we could we could have kept doing what we were doing. Uh, I had a safe job. 
at a uni. Uh, we could both retire uh, or, or we're getting towards retirement age too. We are both working on this because we think it matters. And we're both uh, very uh, excited about the programme. We want to we want to do something that matters. I want people like Dirk and others to be running this in a few years' time when we have genuinely retired. I want to be able to look back on something that I think is important. I have always thought modern monetary theory is important. And I also think understanding ecological economics, if you want to be a 21st century economist, is hugely important. And in case someone hasn't taken a look at it yet, although we won't be drawing directly on this book, really, in our in our courses, but you might have read The Deficit Myth, Stephanie's book on, on MMT. If you haven't read Donor Economics by Kate Raworth, it is The Deficit Myth of Ecological Economics, and I very strongly recommend you maybe read that book if you're thinking about doing our courses because there'll be a lot of similar stuff in our courses. Okay, that's great. And just to fill in a little bit of what you said before of you, obviously, for someone like me, uh, you know, I only have limited after after hours and whatever to watch to to attend courses. And I so I likely will be watching on video. But you answered my question in email that we will be scheduling regular time with our classmates and with the teacher. And we have access, obviously, to administrators and so on um, that we can meet in person as close as that's possible through the Internet on a regular basis. Absolutely. Phil and I will be available all the time, but we'll also we'll schedule um, classes twice so that in principle, if somebody is not at work in their particular time zone, I don't know where people are in the world, everybody's in different places, but uh, there should be the opportunity to go to class live. If you can't get to class live, you can still uh, you'll still be able to talk to Phil and me. And yes, the classes, of course, they'll be recorded. So you'll be able to follow all the materials asynchronously, too. And that's actually interesting in a sense that you will be accumulating a lot of content, even though you'll be doing those courses. You'll over the over time, you'll be accumulating a lot of really good content, which is kind of interesting and good in another sense. So, absolutely, and we're, we're, we're really looking forward to it. We've got politicians, activists. We've had inquiries from central bankers. We've had inquiries from all sorts of people. Uh, around the world. We haven't even started marketing it yet. I haven't spent a single cent on advertising <laughs> as yet. All the advertising has been me mentioning it on Twitter. That's all. And you've gotten five times already just with that. You've gotten five times your expected attendance. So. Well, like, 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 these people, it's very different filling in a form to it is actually enrolling. But um, yeah, well, we're confident that we'll, be, we'll have a reasonable number of students. We don't really want too many students in sure. September. But if somebody is very keen to start, we'd be delighted to see them. As I said, if they go to the Modern Money Lab site and take a look at the brochure on there, it, it basically describes what the courses are. Are about they could, as you did, Jeff, fill in a a form telling us uh, uh, of their interest, and I'll write back to them like I I did with you. And uh, once we get to the middle of July and everything really gets running, we'll be in touch again. That's great. And the and just to say, the course the courses cost at this moment with the exchange rate for us is around twenty two hundred dollars per course, which is expensive, but for you, the United States, it's reasonable. So 
that's you know well, so that anything like this is expensive i'm afraid because well it's expensive but, but compared to the united states compared to the united states 2200 hours for 14 courses you know that's 28000 30 32000 something like that for an entire master's degree is very different than like you know fifty thousand dollars a year in the United States. So it is it, it is expensive, but as, it is not outlandish. It's as low a cost as we could possibly make it. That's all right. I can say. <laughs> right, uh, Stephen. Thank you so much. Um, this is really no problem, Jeff. Maybe maybe even more excited about it. Um, and um, I'm excited to talk with Phil uh, to learn more about that his as well. I'm sorry that didn't work out with him. Okay. Um, yeah, Stephen, thank All you right. so much. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jeff. I have to say goodbye now. See you later. See you next time. for this show is by Rectech. You can find Rectech on SoundCloud and Spotify at W-R-E-C-K underscore T-E-C-H. To record Activist MMT, I use the iOS phone app Tape a Call Plus for recording phone calls and Zencaster for internet-based recordings. My post-production workflow starts by editing on the iOS app AnyTune Pro Plus then transferring those timestamps to my Windows desktop. At that point, I crudely process the audio in Audacity and then implement the edits and do all of the final processing in the Reaper digital audio workstation. Activist MMT is hosted by Libsyn and the video teasers are created with the online Headliner app. Today's part two of my two-part conversation with Stephen Hale, discussing the new and unprecedented graduate program in economics of sustainability. The program, which starts in September 2022, will be run by Torrens University, is backed by Modern Money Lab, 
and primarily developed by Stephen and Australia's leading ecological economist, Phil Lawn. Last week in part one, Stephen talked about how the program came to be, the resistance to be expected from neoclassical economics departments, and the basics of ecological economics. Today, he gives an overview of the program's curriculum and the various degrees a student can pursue. I'm determined to earn a master's degree. After that, then we'll see. Before we begin, a minor clarification. Near the end, I say my studies with Assad Zaman might be worthy of an elective. Although integrating a course into the curriculum, I think would be great, and I believe to actually be much more unique than is currently available. I only mean getting a potential credit for myself for independent study. If you like what you hear, then I hope you might consider becoming a monthly patron of Activist MMT. Patrons have exclusive access to several full-length episodes right now. Patrons also get the opportunity to ask my academic guests questions, such as my recent episode with Warren Mosler. They also support the development of my large and growing collection of Learn MMT resources. To become a patron, you can start by going to patreon.com slash activist MMT. Every little bit helps a little bit, and it all adds up to a lot. Thanks. And now, let's get right back to my conversation with Stephen Hale. Enjoy. Enjoy. 